You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Hello, everyone. We hope you had a very happy Thanksgiving. Speaking of holidays, we actually took some time off from recording the podcast, so you are going to get a fun re-air today, a little rerun, if you all remember what reruns were. That was like before Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime. I digress. Today, in the spirit of Advent, we are going to rerun an episode where we explored the church calendar. So, enjoy. How you doing, man? How you doing, Josiah? I was going to see who was going to break the silence first. It was like a game of podcast chicken. Well, the listeners don't know this, but I like backed away from my mic semi-dramatically. I don't really know why the intro moved me. You know when you... It when moved you, you in an emotional way? Uh, no, <laughs> but I get it, you know, but like... I, I don't know. There's just an energy to when we're sitting in this room recording it and I hear it versus when I hear it in the car. Ah, and yes. so I kind of do like the hips up sort of sitting dance when I when I hear the guitar. I just over-exaggerate it. And so in the process, <laughs> you know, I willingly backed away from the mic thinking, oh, yeah, he'll take it from here. And then he didn't. I'm like, oh, no. now's my time to shine. <laughs> and say your name. So I'm covering all the bases. Thank you, Ethan Bolton. Oh, see, I didn't do your last name, Josiah Pitts. And I'm like, he'll do the same. He'll also not use my last name. Name, but it's out there now. It's out there. If someone wants to find you. Exactly. And after last week, they might. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's all right. Hey, we can all live peaceably with varied opinions on varied holidays. Um, yes. Which, speaking of holidays, yeah. we actually mentioned this in the last podcast, that we're getting ready oh, yeah. to celebrate Advent. Mm-hmm, of course. I'm very... Did you notice how I said that very... <laughs> Much like a crazy person. <laughs> I couldn't decide what type of person, so I'm glad you took the reins there. Yeah, we're, uh, we're excited. Um, yeah. let, it, let it be known. Yeah, and we have actually discussed Advent a little more in depth in previous podcasts. Maybe I shouldn't say Advent necessarily. No, we have. My father and I did an episode last year on yeah. Advent. I know we specifically had a set of, or did we do some Adventy themed ones? Yeah, so we did one that was like kind of like on the traditions of Advent and where they came from. And then we did a mm. couple that were themed on like, why did God the Son have to become human? Why did he have to come as Jesus? And what did he come to do since he came as a human? Yeah. It was all kind of Christmassy, Adventy themed. We also did a series of Advent articles last yes. year. Yes. So we did. Last year's content, still fresh, you know, yeah, revisit it if you yeah, like. It's still good stuff, I think, you know, right? Yeah. I, I hope so. Yeah, that's, hope so, pray so. <laughs> <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Did you know that as it turns out, Advent isn't the only season on the church calendar? What? What? I kind of knew that just because we're friends. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I know there's a there's a, there's something there. There's there's a world there yet a, unexplored. A world yet unexplored. Behold, <laughs> new place, new found land. It's basically how I feel. New? Me, an uncultured person. <laughs> what is all of this thing? Uh, yeah, no, Advent. Uh, it is kind of the beginning of the church calendar, actually. Wait, that's the, it's the beginning. It's like technically the first season of the church calendar. Oh. Actually, so it, it's like Interesting. I feel like my more liturgically minded friends, my you know, sorry Presbyterians and Lutherans out here, I'm probably about to butcher this, and my Catholic friends, but Advent is kind of like the beginning of the new church year. Like mm. Advent is where it starts, as opposed to January. Okay, because you have Advent, yes, but then you also have Epiphany, Lent, 
Easter, not just Easter day, Easter season, a whole mm. season, mind you, entire like stretch of time, that's Easter also, season. That's new to me. Yeah. Pentecost, again, not just a day, season. Oh, wow. And ordinary time. Oh, yeah. See, that sounds like every day. <laughs> that feels familiar. There's something. Ah, behold. It is ordinary time. It is time to be ordinary. <laughs> I'm looking forward to exploring that specific segment. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's a that's a fair amount of seasons right there. Yeah. That I think, depending on which Protestant tradition you grew up in, or if you didn't grow up in the church, or, you know, what have you, you, you may not have even heard of some of those. I haven't heard, I'm going to be honest, haven't heard of, like, the, the majority of them. I was unfamiliar with most of this whole concept of the church calendar until like two years ago. Yeah. It was a weird thing to me. But maybe maybe the question we want to ask here, and we, because this is what we want to talk about, if you couldn't tell, that's, that's what we're talking about. This podcast episode, if you can tell by the title <laughs> exactly. and what we're talking about right now, I'm sure that there are those who are listening who are wondering, why? What is the church calendar? Or depending on where you come from, you call it the liturgical calendar. I honestly prefer that. It's neither here nor there. What What is it for? And uh, what good is it for us to follow it? Anyway, well, now that you've just verbalized all of my private pushbacks, behold, I am the reader of minds. <laughs> uh, I mean, you've got my attention on this because I typically I find it very hard to plug into like tradition mm-hmm. and for it to feel I don't know meaningful or sacred or alive in a real, almost tangible sense. But I also have to confess that I don't know much about this yep. at all. And if that wasn't clear last week, I was <laughs> just declared that Halloween and Advent were the only two long form holidays. <laughs> So I, um, I'm not really an authority on this. That's funny. I, hey, look, I still hold, I still hold to that with an asterisk that I'm going to add to the list today. Um, it's funny. You mentioned the whole finding life and tradition yeah. and sacredness and that, and this is kind of off. It's tangential, but I think it's related to what we're going to talk about here briefly before we actually get into the nitty gritty of the church calendar. But I heard someone say recently, I was, where was I? I don't remember where I was, but I was talking to a friend of mine and he said something the effect of how cyclical it seems to be that there's a generation that kind of reclaims the gospel. Like there's a generation that will, they come to really love Jesus and see him for who he is. And they, like, there are traditions that are kind of birthed out of that. Like, you know, I mean, like we have the church calendar because of things like this. And they birth these traditions to help us see Jesus and love him. And then the tendency, it's not always true, but the tendency is that the next generation keeps the tradition or like the morality, but they're not connected to why they do that. It's just like, oh, this is what we do. And that's it. It's not connected to the greater. They lose something of like the sacredness or the wonder. Yeah. And then the generation that follows them generally is like, we're just doing away with that. Like, we're done with that. Oh, and then it just disappears. And then another generation reclaims it. Interesting. Which is like, seems to be, if you look at the the span of church history, even, it seems to be, just history in general, you Mm. see so many cyclical movements like that, unrelated to the gospel even. But, you know, I just found that interesting. Yeah. All that to say, here's what I actually do find brilliant about the whole concept of the church calendar. Or I guess, should I say, one of. (laughs) One of the things that I find so brilliant about it. We're a people that are molded and formed by the stories that we share and tell, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you can remember pertinent stories to your childhood. And, you know, when we talk about movies, I mean, all the time, movies, yeah. books, you know, the creative commentary, like we're very much impacted by story. Exactly. 
And all that to say, you know, we're formed by didactic information, too. We need to know two plus two equals four, I guess, you know, like we need that kind of stuff. But the primary language that all of humanity speaks is story. Yeah, well, I think also, you know, when we speak of things that are deeply formative for us, like, yes, also experiences are, too. But what comes of that? Story. Yeah. We carry those experiences through story. Yes. And people who never got to have that experience for themselves can gain an understanding because of the story that it produces. Yeah. That was, uh, I think it was the philosopher James K. Smith said that when you hear a story from someone else that like fits you, it's like finding who you are. Oh, wow. It's like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. So the church calendar is actually designed to reorient our hearts around the story of Christ. That is the purpose of the church calendar. If you actually go back and, and trace it, they wanted us to get in on the story of Jesus. So if you can stop and think about it in those kind of terms, it actually, I think, turns out to be a wonderful discipleship tool. Mm. And it has nothing really to do with teaching necessarily information or lecturing. It's conveying story. It sounds like it's taking the attitude that we still associate with Advent and, and spreading that throughout different seasons of the year. Exactly. Okay, even think about it in this way, like just to, I think, maybe try to help bolster our, our view of the church calendar or liturgical calendars. I mean, you think about the liturgical calendars we follow in the quote-unquote secular world all year long, okay? Now, granted, no one's calling them liturgical calendars, but I think you can see when you look at them, oh, yeah, that's what they are because they're forming us and telling us a story. Almost everyone in America abides by some sort of liturgical consumer calendar. Black that Friday. Sh- yeah, I mean, it shapes around the story of consuming, um, yeah, which doesn't ne- does not necessarily have to be bad, but you have to be aware that that is forming you. <laughs> yeah. Like, that is shaping you around, like, oh, yeah, like a Black Friday. Cyber Monday. You know, Cyber Monday. I'm, really, I'm stuck on saving money over here. <laughs> I, right? But, I mean, these are all designed to help us think, like, how are we, you know, yes. I was talking about upgrading my phone recently because the battery is just crap. And Morgan was like, we got to pay attention for the days that, you know, things like that typically go on sale. And like, it's just, we have to be aware. Oh yeah. These are the things that are shaping us. We have a liturgical calendar on this. I mean, on the more innocent side of things, even Starbucks Hmm. does this. I just went in today and they, as of this recording, they had changed over to their Christmas (gasps) stuff. Oh, do they have the pepperoni stuff? They do. Peppermint mocha and caramel brulee latte. That's where I'm going right out of this. But they have a sort of liturgical calendar that shapes and forms our tastes, right? Because in fall, you know, it's pumpkin spice season. We're Ooh. ready for the pumpkin spice, ready we for the latte, you know. Now it's, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas time, peppermint mocha, caramel brulee. They even have that. On the more, uh, even more formational side, I guess you could say, in the wider swath of America, we have a liturgical calendar that shapes us around the story of America and its ideals for better or worse. Because, I mean, you've got Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Veterans Day, Thanksgiving. I mean, these are all kind of high holy days in the American liturgical calendar that shape us around the story of America. Right. And we just inhabit that. And like, oh, yeah, like this is what we celebrate and value. This is our story as a people, as a nation. It's something we carry. Yeah. I think it's very that's very formative. And we're I don't think we're always aware of that, if that makes sense. So these calendars then form our rituals, our days, our habits. And here's the thing about that. All right. Whether we realize it or not, the way that calendars form our rituals and our days and our habits, that is what is forming us. Like, I think we want to talk about like, well, what are the real formative things we're doing in our lives? Like, well, I, however you're spending your day, like, and the stories that you're inhabiting and that you're telling yourself, that's what's forming you. Yeah. I think it was Annie Dillard who said, uh, oh, what did she, she said it very poetically because it was Annie Dillard, of course. Oh, I can't remember that now. That's going to bug <laughs> the crap out of me. I should have written that down. Uh, that thought didn't come to me just now, but point of all that being is 
The church calendar is a, dare I say, counterformational way of doing that. It helps us kind of inhabit the world we live in, right? A world that is not, you know, the world in the wider sense is not the church, right? It has its own story to tell. But the church calendar is designed to help us come back to the primary story, which is, for us, the story of Jesus. And it does that by shaping us around rituals, days, and habits. And again, I do want to acknowledge, I know that there are probably many among us who are listening or those who came from traditions where the church calendar was an empty ritual, right. kind of like what you hinted at. But I mean, I don't think it has to be that way. Like We can reclaim this as a tool to help us enter into the gospel story again. Yeah. I, I'm very keen on that because I'm I'm very much not keen on, on rote tradition. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like it, it has to have some life. Yeah. Um, which again, just triggered this thought in my head. Do you remember that scene in La La Land? Yes. Um, <laughs> it's like, I remember the whole movie. <laughs> um, but where um, Seb and uh, what was John Legend's character's name? I call him John Legend. John Legend. Yeah. Well, Ryan Gosling and John Legend are sitting down and um, they have this tense moment. And I think it's kind of a, it's one of the turning points in the story, but where John Legend looks at Ryan Gosling, they're trying to figure out how to do music together. And he says, you're such a traditionalist, but jazz is about the future. I forget what else he said, but like Some, the point. Isn't something like you can't change the future of hanging on to the past? Yeah, it's something like that. But here's the thing that the more I've gone back and rewatched La La Land, because I just love that movie more and more every time yeah. I watch it. I so love Seb. I mean, I already oh, loved him. Of course. Because I love Ryan Gosling and anything he does. But like, he's got this kind of lively revolutionary traditionalism about him. Like, yes, like he wants to keep jazz pure. Yeah. Like, and he he's about that. But it's not dead. He's not doing it just because, well, that's just because that's just the way that I, that's just the way I do oh, it. Right. He's not, like, yeah, he's not planting his feet in the ground, you know, unwilling to move in a way that is like spiteful. Yeah. He's hanging on to, I guess in our terms, something that he finds sacred in it. Yes, exactly. That is a sacred thing to him. And he's mm. like, and I want this to be pure and I want to share this with the world. He is inhabiting a story. I think that is a closer image to what we ought to strive for when we're talking about things like this, is that kind of revolutionary traditionalism that says, no, there's life in this. Like, yeah. you know, we just let everyone else kind of kill it off with their empty roteness. Um <laughs> So, like, for example, think about how participatory Advent is, just as, you know, one example of this. At Advent, what we're celebrating is the birth of Christ, right? That's that's what that portion of the church calendar is helping us remember of the story, is that the Son of God was born. Jesus came. So, we're celebrating the birth of Christ, but we're doing it by the songs that we sing, Christmas songs that we sing. Most of them, I don't know if I should say most, a lot of what we would call Christmas songs in the church are written in a minor key. Yeah, they and are. And they have this sense of like, oh, I'm like waiting, I'm longing, like, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Like, it's a longing. There's a sense of like, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom, captive there's, Israel. Just like a subtext of tension. Yes, yes, exactly. That's helping us inhabit that feeling that the prophets and the saints of the Old Testament have for thousands of years of waiting. Yeah. Like, we get to inhabit that for a little bit, even though Jesus was born. Mm -hmm. In fact, in the early church, Advent was less about the birth of Christ and more about his return. So, like, we're <laughs> oh. having, like, oh, like, yeah, we wow. identify with the Old Testament saints because we're waiting for Christ to return again. But it's not just that. Like, we light the candles around the wreath to represent, I mean, physically, like, audiovisual, <laughs> audiovisual, not very, <laughs> you know, audio, I guess you strike, strike the match or whatever that the light of the world is dawning yeah. in the darkness. I mean, the general mood of Advent is one of, you know, Christmas Day is celebratory, but everything leading up to that is kind of this like, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. And so Advent helps us inhabit that part of the story, like in a very participatory way. 
And here's the crazy thing. That's just Advent. Yeah. yeah. Because there's more to the church calendar. So that sense of story and participation is kind of strung out throughout the year. So you go from Advent to Epiphany. Uh, never heard that as a proper noun. I know, right? <laughs> Always used it like, you know, I've had an epiphany. Just Yeah, um, when I want to make myself sound like I've got a great idea to share. <laughs> Which actually that epiphany means, I think it's like to be revealed or something to be made known. So epiphany is the season where we celebrate the manifestation of Christ. We celebrate the truth that uh, Jesus has been made known to us, that God has been made known to us in the face of Jesus. So whereas Advent and Christmas focus on Christ's birth, epiphany is more about, oh, he dwelt among us. Um, oh, wow. We see, that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So you're typically thinking of like, you know, the Magi coming to see him. Um, events like Jesus' baptism, uh, the miracle of uh, the wine yeah. at the wedding of Cana, all those sorts of things. So we don't like celebrate Epiphany at Horizons. But if you went to churches that celebrated Epiphany, it's a very festive and joyful time. That's kind of cool. I actually think that's where the... Oh, Okay, I'm really hesitant to say this because I'm, I'm not sure it's correct, but like the 12 days of Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas are actually like Epiphany. What? And you continue to give gifts. I'm pretty sure. I don't think I can afford Epiphany. Yeah, that's not, yeah, it's like, I don't know what. what. Um, <laughs> that's cool though. Do not, nobody quote me on that because I'm like, <laughs> really, somebody Google that. I should write Google that before I even said it, but I just, I just thought of it. So actually, no, Epiphany can't only be 12 days because it takes us up to Lent. <laughs> epiphany <laughs> takes us up to Lent. That's right. Just a fun fact there, you know, just floating in the ether. Yeah, yeah, you know. But then you get into Lent, which I do think even some of us Western evangelicals are a little more familiar with. Yeah, I've heard it. Because uh, Lent is a 40-day season of fasting and self-denial that begins on Ash Wednesday. And this is a season, it's it's definitely the more... Dour. Yeah, of the seasons because it's all about pressing into the temptation and death. Oh, fun. Of Jesus. Like, yeah, we're going to have it that. Which is something I think is not comfortable for yeah. Westerners Which in general. Which is kind of, by default, makes it attractive. Yeah, yeah. It's 40 days because it's meant to echo Christ's 40-day temptation in yes. the wilderness and the fact that he fasted and he, you know, was battling Satan, of course. And the thing about the participatory piece of that is we choose to fast something typically for those 40 days. That's how the church has historically done it. You choose to fast something. And when you're fasting, what you're doing is you're you're pressing into a hunger, all right? And that, you know, people give you a hard time. You're like, oh, I'm, you know, just fasting chocolate. And whatever you need to fast, the point is, is that you feel it. Like you should feel it. Like something that you really want and you feel this hunger and this pang and like, I want to do that. And then you remind yourself, no, like self-denial is the path to joy in life. Like before Christ had his crown, he had to go to the cross. Yeah. And it's one of those paradoxes of the kingdom. And you press into that in a bodily way. It's not just like we're saying, oh, yeah, self-denial is the way to. It's more than an acknowledgement. Yeah, it's embodying it. It's yeah. saying, all right, like, you know, whether it's food, social media, sugar, whatever the case is, you feel it. That's interesting. In a bodily way. I, I honestly would love to explore that more sometime. Um, <laughs> Me just, too. <laughs> but just like how something like that can can point to enjoy in life, as antithetical as that seems. Yeah, because I do think we tend to, and there's nothing wrong with this. In fact, I think we could even do a better job of this, a more intentional job of like feasting, you know, like that's joy, you know, like when we feast together and when we're like celebrating something, mm. I think we we don't even really celebrate super well necessarily sure. in general in the West. But self-denial is a pathway to life and joy. Like no one's like, no, <laughs> like I got to, no, that, no, <laughs> just no. But I mean, 
I've honestly found that some of the most near and dear moments with Christ for me were periods of fasting oh, wow. and self-denial. Again, it's not like a magic thing, right, but there is course. something about, oh, like I really want this thing and all right, sorry, I'm fasting it. So I'm going to go press into prayer now instead or spend time reading or just this time of fellowship with the Lord. Very sweet, which Lent then leads us up to Easter, um, which also has kind of like a subset holiday of Holy Week. Oh boy. You know, you got those days leading up to his crucifixion, of course, right. but it, you know, it starts with his descent down the Mount of Olives right. into the temple. Okay. Now, Easter, of course, is obviously the celebration of Christ's resurrection, which is the biggest deal in the church calendar, I think. Probably the most festive and joyous season with the exception of Good Friday, which by all stretches of the imagination is the most dour day yeah. of, of all the church calendar, because that is the day the literal author of life was killed by the hands of men. It, at face value, the, the name is a bit of a misdirection. It really is. Like, oh yeah, like the good purposes of God were accomplished, but it was a terribly dark day, <laughs> literally and, you know, spiritually. So you move from Easter, which is all about celebration, into Pentecost, which is all about the spirit of Jesus Christ filling us and empowering us for our mission as the church. And of course, that happened for the disciples on, you guessed it, the day of Pentecost. <laughs> and like, that's the only time I hear that word, honestly. Yeah, is associated with that one day, exactly. right? Or Pentecostal churches. But there's a season of Pentecost where, again, it's we're observing and remembering, that's right. Even though Christ ascended into heaven, he didn't leave us alone. He gave us his spirit. Yeah. And that, that spirit is the spirit that dwells inside of us and uh, empowers us to do what God has called us to do. And it also, I think, is a good time to remember that we're all part of one church. Like that's, there's this kind of, I don't know, this unifying aspect of Pentecost, or at least there should be, where we remind ourselves that we belong to the whole body of believers across the world. One Lord, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, as Paul would say in the book of Ephesians. Um, <laughs> and then finally, there's ordinary time. Ah, uh, and I see... This is what I've been waiting for. This is this is my moment. This well, is my, my favorite struggle. Yeah. Uh, maybe this will be a letdown because even the title was kind of self-explanatory. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I was afraid of. Ordinary time is just the rest of the year. Like, um, <laughs> what to say, like, you know, it's like, oh, it's just the rest of the year. But the idea for ordinary time was that is the time when the church is living the story out in the world and we're sharing the gospel of Jesus. We're like, we're sharing the story of his birth and his manifestation and his death and his resurrection and his spirit with the world. Why did you have to turn it into a, an implicit challenge? <laughs> like it's less, you just, you made it less fun. <laughs> That's my job. Making things less fun. One fun thing at a time. But actually, I mean, I do find, I think we've talked about this before mm -hmm. on this podcast. I'm sure we have, because we just talk about it so often. I can't imagine it didn't creep into billions of conversations. But I think the thing that's so beautiful about ordinary time is, I mean, it is, it's just, it's lived out in the context of wherever you happen to be. Yeah. And I mean, in the ordinary moments mm -hmm. that you have your eyes open to seeing, no, like the beauty of Christ is still present here as much as it was in Advent and the joy of his appearing is here as much as it was an epiphany and the reality of his death and resurrection is just as real as at Lent and Easter all lived out in ordinary time. The mundane. Know? The beautiful mundane. Living in the montage. Oh! Um, <laughs> that's it. That's the one. <laughs> so all of that was to say, that's like, I mean, the briefest possible primer. You could read whole books on this and lots of great resources out there. If you want to do this with your family or, you know, in your community group. In fact, uh, a cool thing, 
<laughs> cool thing. Oh, cool thing. Novel thing. Whatever. I think this is Easter. I don't think it's just Holy Week. Maybe it is, though. But one of the things about Lent or Holy Week is it's kind of a reverse advent where rather than having the four candles and the Christ candle that you light in successive order each week. Are you about to tell me you snuff out candles? You snuff out candles. You start with seven candles. I think it's got to be Lent I'm thinking of. I've got to double check this because we haven't done it before, but Morgan and I are doing it this year. But you start with seven candles lit and then each week you snuff one out. That's wild. Until finally you snuff the last one out on Good Friday. That's logical. Yeah. Another just like a bodily way, like an audiovisual way, huh? That we kind of inhabit the story. That's what the church calendar does. And, yeah. and that's why I think it can be helpful. Again, it's not, you, you you don't want to turn it into a legalistic, you have to follow this or you're not a Christian. Oh, exactly. The minute we, you get this almost like corporate attitude about participation is the moment I like just implicitly start to push back. Yeah. And like, cause you, I mean, you have to remember the whole point of the story of the church calendar is we are saved through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Like, yeah. that's, what, that's what saves us. But when it's viewed right, you know, when you got the Seb attitude about it, you know, <laughs> exactly, the Ryan yeah. Gosling attitude about it, the church calendar helps us enter into and be formed by the story of Jesus. No, it's just a tool to help us do that and to remind ourselves, you know, we've got all these other holidays we're celebrating out in the world. Why not celebrate these days and remember, all right, this is the truer story that we inhabit as the people of God. And yeah, I just, I, I found it a useful tool in my own life and it may be helpful to you if you're listening, you know. I'm glad you so. kind of uh, spelled out some of that because I'm going to be honest, much of that was pretty new to me. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's new. Like I'm discovering it too. Like even like, you know, I've been lightly observing a church calendar for eh, like two years. I like yeah. really like paid attention, but I didn't know about the, you know, the little snuff out candle thing that's cool. uh, there's a name I, for it but i, I like those little it. things especially like this is so ugh, pretentious but i love these little things like that these little practices that are not widely known and widely practiced yeah it's something actually more attractive to me i'm like oh it's this kind of unique private moment that i get to experience yeah. it's not this giant weird expectation mm-hmm. of the masses yeah so and that's yeah and especially when i think you get to share a moment like with your family yeah my favorite moments of advent coming up i mean i do i love you know worshiping and celebrating that with the church but i think as much as i love those moments i dearly love the quiet moments on a sunday night when mm-hmm. morgan and i are at home and we turn off the lights well we might have the christmas tree lit up but then we sit together we read scripture we light a candle we pray we sing a song and Aww. We're quiet the rest of the, the evening, you know, and it's just that is a very sacred moment for our family. And now we got a little baby who, who she won't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, my hope is that like these kind of things as she grows up, like will leave impressions on her imagination. Mm. And if we can keep these things connected for her to why we do them and like this is the story we're telling like we're not just doing this because this is what we do at you know, Christmas time. But like, here's why we do this. Yeah. You know, the hope is like that forms her and uh keeps her centered around the story of Jesus. So, yeah. Good stuff. Could be, um, you know, if nothing else, try it with your family or something. You know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. That's it. So. That sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for listening, y'all. Yes. Y'all the best. We hope do. you're Hope you're looking forward to Advent. Mm. I am. I'm very excited. Yeah. Very got, stressed, but very excited. Yeah. If you are a Horizons attender, we have some cool stuff that's going to be happening at Advent. Yeah. So, uh, including on this podcast. Sneak a teaser there for you. So, thank you for listening. And if you do have questions... You want to engage with us on this topic or any other, you can email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net or you can engage with us on social media. And if you are helped by this content and you would like to share it or go to the iTunes store and leave us a five-star review, oh, an honest yeah, five-star I mean, review. It is the only kind of honest and 
I've also heard it's the only kind of five. That is what I've heard. That's what I've heard. From those who are in this room. <laughs> <laughs> we both went different routes with that. <laughs> <laughs> in this room. Ah. Oh, shucks. Well, thank you as always for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.